Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 10, Episode 12. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Brandon Faircloth, about brutal beatings, infant imitations, touchy tricksters, and precarious pilgrimages. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Ever found yourself in a situation where you could play hero? 
Maybe you see someone trying to snatch candy from a baby, or about to have the last word with a neighbor about letting their dog run loose in other people's yards. Well, firstly, I have to wonder what you're doing watching my house. But secondly, maybe you think you've done the right thing, only to find out that Baby was really just a small thief stealing other people's candies, or the neighbor was a dimensional shambler about to devour the neighborhood whole. Wouldn't you look just foolish? Well, now imagine being a police officer faced with a case of opened and shut battery, only to find out that maybe, just maybe, it isn't as open and shut as it appears. Take heed in our first tale from Brandon Faircloth. Without further ado, I present to you, It Had Three Mouths. The night was quiet until we got the call that three men were beating a homeless person to death. Dispatch called two patrol units along with EMS, and when the first deputy got there, they phoned me as the investigator on call. I went to the scene, pulling up just as the ambulance was driving away. The three assailants were in the back of the two patrol cars, and when I checked with Deputy Moran, he told me they'd still been attacking the poor guy when he pulled up. Not even the lights and sirens slowed them down. It wasn't until the first one was hit with a stun gun that the other two glanced around and then stepped away from the man lying on the ground between them. Marin looked at me warily, his eyes watering slightly, as he shook his head. I... they weren't just beating him, Chess. They were cutting on him, too. Damnedest thing I ever... He swallowed and wiped his mouth as he glanced over to the patch of blood on the asphalt nearby. Just don't be surprised if this turns into a murder case, yeah? I nodded, frowning. What did EMS say when I got here? Was he still alive? Marin rubbed his eyes. Yeah, yeah, he's alive. Stable, even, but just barely. I could tell they were rushing to slow the bleeding until they could get him to the hospital. Just hope he can hang on long enough to make it. He looked back up toward the patrol cars. What do you want to do with these three? Shrugging, I glanced around. Place them under arrest and read them uh, Miranda. Then get someone to bring them all to the station so I can do interviews. Make sure you and Dave check for anyone that might have seen something. I gestured across the street at the squad houses that sat slowly moldering there. Canvas the neighborhood and check for any cameras in the area. He nodded and was about to head off when I stopped him. Did any of them say anything? Any idea why they did it? Marin gave a bitter laugh. One of them said something to Dave. Told him they didn't have a choice. He shook his head. Mean, crazy bastard. Said they had to do it. Informal Interview Summary 1, James Buckner I began my interview with the subject in interview room 2. Age 18, he was the youngest of the three suspects. Buckner had not only graduated high school as valedictorian, but had started college a year early. In the fall, he'd be a sophomore at the state university. 
He appeared clean and well-groomed, other than the dirt and blood that seemed attributable to the attack on the other man that evening. When I entered the room, he looked up nervously, and his obvious anxiety didn't lessen as I sat down and started pulling out paperwork. Still, he listened as I went through the Miranda again, and when I asked him if he understood his rights and would waive them to talk to me, he agreed without hesitation. I asked the initial questions he always asked, name, address, occupation, that kind of thing, and then I started into the meat of it with a very general question. So, tell me what happened tonight. His hands were trembling as he looked across the table at me with wet eyes. I... is that guy going to die? Keeping my expression neutral, I shrugged. It's too early to say, I think. I'm sure they're doing everything they can to help him, though. When we get done, I'll check with the hospital to see how he's doing. I leaned forward slightly. For now, though, I need you to tell me what happened tonight. Everything. Be honest and don't leave anything out. That's the best way to help yourself at this point. A tear rolled down his cheek as he nodded silently. Yeah, I... I'll tell you what I know, but I don't know much. I... I'd come home for the weekend from school to see my girlfriend. And she lives not far from... Well, where it happened. But... I wanted to surprise her, so I parked a block away and was going to walk over and go to the back door. He shuddered as he went on, but I don't think I ever made it. I was walking through this empty lot. I've used it as a cut-through to her house before, and someone spoke to me. I think maybe it was that guy, but I don't know for sure. What did he say to you? Did he say something that made you mad? Buckner's eyes widened. No, nothing like that. He... I think he asked me if I'd help him. Help him how? He began crying more freely now. I... I don't know. The next thing I remember, we were beating him, cutting on him. I could see myself doing it, but I couldn't make myself stop. It was like I was dreaming and couldn't wake up. Lowering his head into his hands, he went on. Then the cop came up. He told us to stop, but we didn't. I couldn't, like I said. Then he shocked me, and everything went fuzzy for a second. Next thing I remember, I was in handcuffs, being put in the back of the cop's car. Had you ever met the man you were attacking before? And he shook his head from between his palms. No, not that I know of. And I don't know why I did it. Why any of us did it. Know either of the other two men with you? No. I mean, I recognize Mr. Larkin from the grocery store, though that's mainly from the picture they have up front of him. The other guy, I didn't know at all. When did you first see them? He let out a half sob. When we were hurting that guy. I looked up and saw them hurting that man the same as I was. Hurting him, but looking at each other and at me looking like I felt. And how's that? How did they look? How did you feel? When he looked up again, his eyes were red-rimmed and raw, like we were trapped in a nightmare we couldn't stop. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. 
If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Informal interview summary two, Gary Lankin. Gary Lankin's a 55-year-old man who's lived in town for the past 20 years. For the last 14, he's been the manager of one of the large supermarkets in town. A check of his criminal history shows no arrests, and his driver's record is clear other than a speeding ticket two years ago. I know of him from around town, and as far as I know, he has a reputation for being a jolly, honest guy whose biggest vice is that he talks too much if he runs into you. Sitting in a harsh, fluorescent light of interview room three, he didn't look jolly. Covered in another man's blood and his own sweat, he looked more like a caged animal when he glanced up at me and said nothing as I entered. Going over to the table, I sat down and watched him quietly for a moment before starting into his rights. When I got to the point of asking if he was willing to talk to me, he just stared. Look, if you don't want to talk to me, that's fine. But this is your chance to tell your side of what happened. If you don't answer, I'll take that as a no and leave you alone. Grimacing, he rubbed a thick hand across his cheek and snorted. What difference does it make? I'm screwed, aren't I? I don't know that. But again, if you want to talk, you have to make clear to me that you understand your rights and are well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand him. I'll sign a waiver or whatever. His eyes narrowed. But don't think you can trick me. I'm doing this because I'm innocent. I slid the waiver over to him and watched him sign it. No one's trying to trick you. But we don't understand what happened tonight or why. So tell me what you remember, okay? glowered at me silently for several seconds. I'd rather talk to Bill Murphy about this. No offense, but I don't know you well. My smile felt thin and brittle. Well, I'm the lead investigator on this case, and you don't get to pick who interviews you, so you want to talk or are you wasting my time? Lincoln let out a sigh and shrugged. Nah, that's fine. I just... You need to understand, I didn't do this. Or maybe I did, but I wasn't in control. Someone must have drugged me or something. Me and the other guys, too, I guess. I've known Terry for years, and he's not a bad guy. The kid I've seen in the store, but I don't really know. His mouth was slack as his eyes drifted away. But who would do this kind of thing? And especially in our town. He brought his gaze back to mine. No, I wouldn't. Unless someone had drugged me or something. I nodded. 
We're going to get that blood from y'all soon, as we're done here talking. You can consent to the drawer, I can get a search warrant. Maybe there is something in your system, or there was. But, uh, you feel clear enough to talk to me now? Yeah, 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 I do. Good. Then tell me what you remember. I was in the store, finishing close-down for the night. We lock the doors at nine, do the final register checks, and then the place is empty until the stalkers come in at five in the morning. I was the last one left, and I was walking to the back to leave myself when I saw someone down one of the aisles. It was aisle four, soup and other canned goods. Who was it? I didn't know at the time. I didn't recognize him. He had on a sweatshirt with a hood up. And Look, the last few years we get homeless people coming in sometimes, right? Usually it's fine, but once or twice before, they've tried to stay in past closing. I figured that's what this was about. I called out to him, telling him the store was closed and I needed him to walk out. He trailed off as he began to tremble. What happened next? Lankin lowered his eyes to his hands as he went on. I think he turned toward me. I, I don't know. The next thing I remember, I was hitting and cutting him in the street like those other guys. He started to reach forward and then stopped himself at my hairy stare. I felt my phone buzz in my jacket. I swear, we were looking at each other while we were attacking him. None of us wanted to do it. It was like we had to. Crazy as that sounds. Pulling out my phone, I saw I had a text message with three pictures from Marin. Marin, the victim's stable at the hospital. There's uh, some initial pics the deputy took there before they bandaged up his wounds. The pictures were of different parts of the man's body. A leg, his chest, and an arm. All three were swollen and starting to bruise, but I barely noticed. All I could see were the symbols that had been carved into his flesh. Red, precise slashes across his mottled skin, crisscrossing in a way that looked purposeful and meaningful, though I had no idea what the purpose or meaning might be. So I held up my phone to Lankin. Did you do this? His eyes widened as I flipped between the three photos. I don't know. I don't see how, but I know I got him. We all did. Snorting, I shook my head as I stuck my phone closer to his face. Those don't look like random cuts to me, or by someone that wasn't looking at what they were doing. What do those symbols mean? Leaning back in his chair, his lower lip began to quiver. I don't know. I swear I don't. Maybe the other ones did that, but that's not for me. It was an accident. Turning my phone back to me when it buzzed again, I reread the new message from Marin twice. Marin, done at scene, heading to hospital now. The roadie there is now saying the victim is disfigured. Like, not from the attack, but his head isn't normal or something. I think the kid's confused. I saw the guy at the scene. He was dirty and bruised up, but his head was the least part that was hurt from him, and it didn't look weird. I looked back up at Lankin. Did you know this guy you attacked? The man shook his head, his expression miserable. So, your story is 
that you see this stranger in your store, you tell him he needs to go, and the next thing you know, you and these two other guys are out in the street, five miles from your store, kicking the crap out of this guy while you cut these clearly intricate symbols into them, all the while not even really looking at what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, because you're all looking at each other, right? Not even paying attention to what you're doing. These people that you didn't plan this with. You're all just magically attacking this guy and carving the same kinds of things all over him. Is that what you're saying? It sounds crazy, but I... No, it sounds like lies. I puffed out in a breath. Mr. Lincoln, are you and these other gentlemen in some kind of cult or something? His face flushed. What are you... Are you crazy? Of course not. Leaning forward, I glared at him. Well, that makes more sense than what you're saying. So do you want to try again, or are you sticking with this? Sniffing, he wrapped his arms around his stomach. Ah, uh, I think I want a lawyer now. Informal Interview Summary 3 Terrence Wells as I opened the door to interview room one, someone started to scream. It was a high, sharp sound that made me wince and covered my ears even as I tried to see into the room through watering slits. Wells wasn't at the table, but was instead sitting against the wall with his back to me. The screaming had to be coming from him, though I didn't know how he could make a sound like that. I tried to yell over the noise as I stepped closer to him, uh, to tell him I was there to help. That's when his hand appeared, red and slick with blood, as he flung something against the far wall. We followed the trajectory of it and saw the small mound of meat on the floor where it had slid down the cinder block like a gory slug. It was Terry's tongue. We're in. I'm bringing Terry Wells to the ER. Crazy bastard just ripped out his own tongue. We got his mouth packed with gauze, but I didn't want to wait for an ambulance. You already there? There was a crackle over the radio, and then I heard Marin's voice through the static. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Jess, I don't know if you should bring him here. Maybe carry him over to the uni hospital instead. What? That's twice as far. Why? I... They've lost the guy. The victim. My hand tightened on the steering wheel. What do you mean, lost him? He died? Crackle, then. No. I mean, he's gone. No one knows where. And that's not all. What do you mean? I talked to one of the ER docs before we knew he was missing. The road he was right, even though it don't make sense. They said the guy was severely disfigured. Something they'd hadn't ever seen before. Disfigured how? Diprosopus or something. Said it's like when a twin doesn't get absorbed all the way. I don't know. But Jess, they say he's got three mouths. Marin was waiting with two nurses when I pulled up to the ER. And five minutes later, Wells was in the back being treated... While Marin told me there was still no sign of the victim, though there were two more deputies coming to help search the area. Shaking my head, I tried to think of anything else 
we could do short of calling the state police for help. What about the road deputy? Rob, wasn't it? Sure he didn't see anything? He was supposed to be watching him. Shaking his head slowly, Marin didn't meet his eyes when he spoke. He's a dumb kid. He says he didn't see or hear anything. And when we found out the guy had ghosted, he looked like he was going to throw up. I told him to chill out and go look around the parking lot for him. More so, he didn't yak in here or get in the way. I raised an eyebrow. How long has he been out there? I didn't see him when I pulled up. Marin paled slightly. Damn, it's probably been 20 minutes. He hit his mic. 7.15, what's your 20? When he didn't hear anything back, he tried again before calling dispatch. They hadn't heard from the roadie either and couldn't raise him in a radio. He shook his head. What is going on around? He broke off as one of the ER doctors came into the waiting area. I'm sorry, but your prisoner didn't make it. I stared at him with disbelief. What do you mean? He was bleeding a decent bit. We slowed that down before we brought him in. The woman shrugged. I'm sure you did your best. And it wasn't the blood loss that killed him anyway. I think he had a massive heart attack. Though we'll have to wait for the post-mortem to be sure. I went to say more when mine and Marin's phone started buzzing at the same time. Meeting each other's eyes, we answered the calls. It was the office. Buckner and Lanker were both found dead in their adjacent holding cells. Lanker's right arm was bloody, but it was easy to understand why. He'd had to shove his fat forearm between the bars far enough to get leverage. The effort cost him most of the skin there. Buckner was thinner, so it was easier for him. In the end, though, it came to the same thing for both of them. Because somehow, within the span of less than an hour since I'd left them, they'd ripped out each other's tongues. My hands were tight and shaky on the wheel as I drove the empty, moonlit path back to the office. It was past two in the morning now, but I wasn't sleepy or even tired. There was too much to do. I needed to call the sheriff, Vegas conference or not, and I needed to get someone from state police down here. Still needed to locate the victim and find out. I slammed on the brakes as the figure appeared on the road before me. It was him, the victim. He was still wearing a hospital gown and had bandages taped all over his body. But it was his head, framed in the yellow glow of my headlights, that I couldn't look away from. Marin was wrong. This man... He didn't just have three mouths. He had three faces, or near enough to it. Spread across a lumpy palette of flesh were four eyes, three noses, and three sets of crooked lips, almost all perfectly articulated except at their edges, which ran together and apart like melted wax. I felt a combination of sympathy and horror looking at him. How had he survived like that? How could he have made it so far out here on his own? Stepping out of the car, I called out to him. Sir, I'm here to help you. I'm Investigator Jesse East with the Sheriff's Office, okay? I need to get you back to the hospital. The man seemed oblivious to me before, 
but now he was staring right at me, all three of his mouths discordantly working in unison. At first I heard nothing, but then I realized I was hearing him speak, though I wasn't sure where the sound was coming from. I need your help. I nodded, trying not to let my growing fear and discomfort show. I didn't understand what was going on, but I still needed to do my job and get him back to the hospital. That's what I'm here for. Can, I, can you make it to the car? No. I need you to hear me sing. Your flesh will become the door. He wasn't really talking. It was, it was in my head. No. I was being stupid. Freaked out because, well, reason enough to be freaked out, but no time for it. Sir, I don't understand what you... My words faded away as the sound rose from the figure before me. Not one sound, but three. Three voices all singing different parts of a song, in harmony. I doubled over as my vision began to swim. My chest and stomach felt like they were on fire. What was this? That song. I didn't understand the words, but it was still so beautiful. So wonderful and terrible at the same time. What was it? It is one of the names of my God. The voice thundered across my brain, never interrupting the singing of the three mouths in front of me. It calls to him across the dark, even as it calls you to serve his purpose. I was on my knees now, barely able to think. This, this was all happening. The song spreading agony across my body, the feeling of pressure building to the point that I felt ready to explode. This thing in front of me was trying to bring something here. Oh yes, you will see. You will serve him, even in death. You will serve him. The man's body shook with what might have been laughter, making the hospital gown flutter in a passing night breeze. I had to try. No. I had to not think. It was in my head already. I had to not think, just act. But it hurt so much. And it was ripping off the bandages, and I could see the symbols clearly in the headlights, bleeding tar like a dozen small fountains as he sang and sang into the black sky. And I can feel him. He is nearly here. Oh, God. I had to do something. But it hurt so much, and I couldn't let him see. I just, just let go. You'll be the beginning of a new act. The thing's head snapped back as the first bullet struck it. I didn't think or hesitate, but just kept firing into its head until the singing began to trail off and then stopped altogether. It toppled over, and I quickly crawled closer and emptied my remaining rounds into its chest. It took me two hours to get rid of the body. I drug it out into the woods past a nearby cow pasture and dug a deep hole before dousing it well with fuel from my gas can. Only after the body had gone out did I cover it with several feet of earth and leaves. Maybe later I'd find a better spot, but for now this would have to do. I got back to the office as the sun was coming up and Marin was there, waiting with a worried expression. Where have you been? I've been calling. Shrugging, I walked past him without meeting his eyes. Uh, sorry, I was out looking for the victim. No luck. 
When he touched my arm, I glanced up and saw him frowning at me. You smell like gas and gunpowder. And you got dirt under your nails. You okay? Swallowing, I nodded. Yeah. I, I'm just real tired, you know? Marin studied me for a minute before nodding. Me too. Maybe... Maybe we should just stop looking for this John Doe, yeah? What do you think? I gave him a smile I didn't feel. Yeah. I, I think that would be for the best. I hope you enjoyed It Had Three Miles by Brandon Faircloth, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would like to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash faircloth. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash F-A-I-R-C-L-O-T-H. While he has a firm presence on Reddit, and you can find his newest work there, you may want to take a trip over to veristal.com. That's V-E-R-A-S-T-A-H-L to purchase some of his collected works and novels, especially his newest collection of tales, Don't Let It In, coming April 15th. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave Brandon a kind word and let them know you heard about them here on this show, and that Otis Jiry sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program, and of tonight's featured author. Is there a lesson to be learned from this story? I'm not quite sure. Maybe less literal about holding your tongue? Don't announce your imminent plans for world domination if you're not immune to bullets. Avoid eye contact with strange people in hoodies. Well, not sure if that was the plan, but I think all of those are excellent guidelines for life anyway. For our second entry into the worlds of the macabre, Brandon Faircloth takes on a walk down a well-known and well-trod Appalachian Trail. Surely something so ubiquitous wouldn't have anything strange going on, would it? Just the sounds of nature, the footfalls of fellow travelers, and the occasional cry of a lost child in the wilderness. Wait, maybe there is something to be said about that last one. Without further ado, I present to you, It Sounds Like a Baby Crying. Last month, I started my first solo hike on the Appalachian Trail. Growing up, I hiked a lot with my dad, but it was never more than a half day before we broke off into some activity or went home. But for the last few years, the idea of a longer hike, of spending days or weeks or even months largely alone as I passed through the wilderness of the world, sounded both magical and a little scary. Now, I'm no great athlete or outdoorsman, but I'm in decent shape and have spent the last few months building up my stamina, reading up on the skills and knowledge I'd need on the trail, and researching what equipment I needed to carry. The two things I found repeated most were travel light and plan ahead. 
So, by January, I had everything in place. I had the permits and the gear, and my mother was going to send resupply boxes by general delivery to several post offices along the way. If I kept to the schedule, I should arrive about a week after the packages, and everything I didn't need then I could send ahead in a bounce box to somewhere farther down the line. The other key in my mind, aside from the planning and prep work, was being realistic. I wasn't trying to do the entire 2,200 miles. My plan was to start at Springer Mountain in Georgia and possibly go as far as the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. If I found out I was in over my head or got tired of it, I could always stop early. At just under 500 miles, I figured it would take me a little less than two months if I did the full section hike to Virginia, which would line up well with my new job starting at the end of May. But it wasn't just my work schedule that had fallen into place. Everything seemed like it was working out for me to do the hike, almost like the universe was pushing me toward it. So, one day in early March, I put on my pack, locked my car, and headed out. The first day was great. The weather was cool, the scenery was beautiful, and I was full of excitement of doing something different and exploring a part of the world that was easily forgotten in day-to-day city life. I only made eight miles that first day, but I was more concerned about how I would do making my camp. I'd practiced with everything, of course, but I knew that there was a difference between watching a video or trying out equipment in your backyard using it when you were tired and really needed it to work. Still, I got my tent up and the fire going, and the two packs of ramen I wolfed down tasted pretty awesome at the time. It also made me sleepy, and it wasn't long before I was crawling into my bag and falling into a deep sleep. I woke up the next day cold and stiff, and it wasn't until that afternoon that I started to feel normal again. My beginner's energy and enthusiasm were gone, but so were some of my nerves. I'd been at it for over 24 hours without any real problems. If I could just do it for maybe 48 more times, I'd be done. That probably sounds silly, and I guess in some ways it was. But over the next two weeks, I quickly fell into the soothing routine of the hike and the welcome rest after setting up camp. The nights could sometimes be a bit spooky between the pitch-black night and the odd sounds that would sometimes echo out of the dark, but I never really felt scared or like it wasn't safe to go to sleep, and every day I woke up feeling a bit more excited for the day ahead. That's when the storm came. I had rain gear, and it definitely helped keep my pack and clothes somewhat dry, but it did less to keep the wet from coating my face and running down my neck. By the second hour of the downpour, I could feel the first warning squishes in my shoes. But they were waterproof, and some of the moisture was still getting in the top. By the fourth hour, my feet were starting to feel numb and raw, and I knew I needed to find a place to rest and to get dry for the day. The problem wasn't just the rain, however, but the wind that came with it. My tent had been well-reviewed and seemed to be holding up fine, but I'd never tried to put it up in a storm. 
I wasn't sure if I could get it up easily with the weather like it was, and I definitely was not positive how stable or dry it would be unless things died down. Still, I didn't want to push my feet too far without drying them out, so I started looking for blue blazes along the path that might indicate a good camp spot. That's when I saw the wooden sign saying there was a AT shelter ahead. A couple hundred yards up, I saw the blue blaze marker and another sign with an arrow pointing at a side trail. Half a mile up, I found the shelter. It wasn't anything fancy. Three wood walls and a roof and a blue tarp someone had hung along the outer edge to act as a fourth wall and keep some of the rain out. I felt my stomach drop a little at that. I'd seen and chatted with a few people along the trail so far, but this was the first time I tried to use a shelter or face the prospect of hanging out or even sleeping near a stranger. Reaching down to my pocket, I patted the pocket knife there, though I didn't know how much use it would really be if some maniac hiker decided to jump me. Still, its familiar shape comforted me, and I forced a smile as I pushed back the tarp and found no one. There was no sign of a person or their stuff, or even wet spots like someone had recently left to go back into the rain. I looked at the tarp closer. It didn't look sunbleached or worn, and I didn't know why someone would leave it behind if it had been put up by a passing hiker. But either way, I was grateful for the shelter and the solitude. I spent the next few minutes carefully setting up my wet stuff to dry and checking my feet. They were sore, but sometime out of the shoes, and socks would probably be all they needed. Rooting around in my pack, I found a bar to eat. If the rain lasted, I wouldn't try for a fire, but I had enough water to last until morning, and I could make do with dry food. I'd have liked to make it further, but it was growing dark, and my eyes were already getting heavy. I just sat listening to the heavy patter of rain against the tarp, and before long, I was asleep. Hey, hey there, you awake? I blinked, momentarily confused as to where I was or what was going on. As I came back to myself, I realized I could still hear the rain pouring down and hear the occasional snapping rustle of the blue tarp wall of the shelter. Everything was dark, though. Everything except for a face floating down above me in the darkness, partially illuminated by the glow of a small lantern. Not trying to horn in or nothing, just looking to get out of the rain. You cool with sharing? I stared at the man, unsure of how to respond. On the one hand, I didn't want to be rude or leave someone out in the rain. On the other, I didn't know the small-bearded man from anywhere and I dreaded having to constantly be on my guard for the next ten or twelve hours. He seemed to sense my uncertainty, and he offered me a smile. I promise I'm a nice guy. I just... His smile faltered. I just don't want to be out in the dark, is all. Swallowing, I gave him a nod. Um, yeah, sure. Come on in. There's plenty of room. And there was. We could have easily fit eight or ten people in the space... If we sat close, and as it was, he was able to settle in far enough away that we still had to raise our voices to be heard over the pounding rain. He chatted as he got out some supplies and introduced himself as Tony. 
even offering to let me use his little camp stove to heat up one of my meals. It was strange. He was friendly and seemed fairly easygoing on the surface, but there was also a skittish tension to him that he couldn't quite hide. At first, I wondered if he was just awkward or nervous around strangers like I was, and I was content to leave him alone until we both went to sleep. But then he started talking again, his voice hoarse and reedy, against the steady drumming of the storm. Is this your first time doing the trail? I laughed awkwardly. Is it that obvious? He smiled and gave a shrug. Nah, or I mean, I guess it is, but not in a bad way. I've done it off and on for years, and you can always tell people that are new. Got that glow about them, like they just found a special secret. His smile faded some. Which, I mean, I guess they have. I nodded. Yeah, it's a little intimidating at times, but I'm really enjoying it. Proud of myself for doing it. I gestured toward Tony. What about you? You must still love it if you've been doing it that long. He chuckled, his eyes darting toward the tarp as a branch cracked off in the distance. Yeah, sure, I do. This is my third through hike, the first one southbound. I started up in Maine in the coldest part of the damn year. Told myself I was up to the challenge. Tony puffed out a breath as he shook his head. It was stupid. Should have waited and started now instead. His lips thinned. Things probably would have gone better. I frowned. Well, I mean, you look like you're doing okay. And if you're headed to Springer, you'll probably make it in a few days. He glanced back toward the tarp. Yeah, maybe. His eyes cut back to me. Well, listen, this is going to sound stupid. But have you heard anything funny at night, like the last few nights, I mean? Um, I mean, I hear weird stuff every night. Trees cracking, birds, and other... Stuff making noises. Some of it I know what it is, but a lot of it I don't have a clue. I laughed. So you're going to have to be more specific. Rubbing the backs of his knees, he smiled slightly and nodded. Uh, sure, yeah. Sure. Um, it, um... Tony licked his lips as he went on. It sounds like a baby crying. Feeling a twinge of unease in my belly, I forced another smile. This sounds like a campfire tale, man. I pointed at his little butane stove, and I don't think that counts as a campfire. Looking back up at him, the smile died on my lips. He was staring at me, his face ghostly and ephemeral, in the twin glow of our small lanterns, floating in the darkness with an expression that looked both serious and strange. It's no story, Carson. It's real. I heard it. I heard it just two nights ago. With an effort, I kept looking back into his bleak gaze. Okay, Tony. Well, it seems like you've got more to say, so tell me what happened. I've been hiking over 30 years, not just the trail, but all over. And in my 20s, I worked as a guide out west for a few summers. My point is, I've seen and heard plenty of odd things over time, and I've heard plenty of, well, like you said, campfire stories. I never believed any of that crap, of course. 
The only thing scary about nature is not understanding it. There's never been something I've experienced that I couldn't figure out a reasonable explanation for. And the tall tales are just that. Stuff used to scare kids or pass a slow night. I've even heard things that sound like babies before. Bobcats and some barn owls do. So do porcupines, if you believe it. But if you know what to listen for, you can tell the difference. That difference is what I was listening for when I heard the crying start two nights ago. I was still walking after dark. Not a good idea for someone inexperienced. But I was familiar with the area, and I knew there was a good campsite just a few miles further on. This little camp stove's heavy, and a lot of people would say it's a rookie mistake to bring one. But it does mean that when I get where I'm going, I don't have to mess with a fire I don't want. Lots of nights, if the weather's nice, I don't even unpack my tent. I just walk in the moonlight till I get tired, then I sit down, heat up some grub, and go to bed under the stars. That's what I was thinking about while I walked. That spot ahead on the edge of the creek. It wound down to a waterfowl close enough it could sing you to sleep. And then the crying started. A bobcat, maybe? Now it was too controlled and clear for that. An owl. It sounded too warm. I was only curious at first, but as it started again, I felt a panic start to build in the back of my brain. It was a baby, a real, live, human baby, out in these woods and left to cry. Maybe the parents were hurt or they'd abandoned it, but it was in danger or pain and it needed my help. It wasn't even a question anymore. So I left the trail. Pushing through the woods, I had to stop myself from running. I needed to hurry, but I wouldn't be able to help if I twisted my ankle or broke my leg. And there were no guarantees of a phone signal out that far, either. So I paced myself, making my way between trees and bushes, going down one hill and up another. And the child was still crying. I could tell I was getting closer, closer until I was there. It was a field of bare winter trees that should have had leaves by now, but somehow it didn't. I wondered for a moment if they were dead, but then a wind picked up, swaying limber branches before cutting through me. The baby's cry was all around me now, carried on the wind like a handful of bloody leaves warning of danger, or worse, danger's aftermath. I shuddered as I looked all around in the dark for the source of the baby's cries. At first I saw nothing, but then a thought occurred to me, and I looked up into the nearest tree. Staring back at me was a pair of wide and glowing yellow eyes. My first thought was that I'd been wrong. It was a bobcat, after all. But no, the eyes were all wrong, too big and too far apart. The eyes began to move in the dark, heading toward the trunk of the tree, and then downward toward the ground. It was then that I shined my light on it, and that's what started me screaming. It some ways. It looked like a child. Not a baby, but a child of maybe twelve or so in size and length of limb. But its skin was scaly and rough, like that of a desert lizard or the bark of a tree. And as it crawled down to the bottom, I saw that skin shift as though it was mimicking 
whatever was close by. Its fingers and toes were long and spindly, ending in flat pads with hook claws twisting out of them like punishment. And its head. Its head was just darkness and those damn yellow eyes. You need to understand what I'm saying. Not that I couldn't see its head well. I could see it just fine as it began to crawl toward me. I'm telling you, it had no damn head at all. Just glowing eyes and that yawning darkness that would let out a terrible well that had drawn me in. Even terrified, watching it dig up the earth as it came closer, I found it hard to resist that cry. I don't know that I could have at all if I hadn't got so caught up in staring into that wailing black hole it called a face, because I could see something in there after all. Teeth. So many goddamn teeth. That broke the spell, I guess, because I managed to run. Even panicked, I knew which way the trail was, and it didn't take long for me to make my way back to it. I turned into it and kept moving fast, trying to keep my footing while pulling out my phone to call for help. But, like I said, no signal. Looking back, I saw no sign of the thing following me, and if there were sounds of it coming out of the woods beside me, they were masked by my breathing as I tried to make distance without taking a fall. I couldn't fall, and not just because of getting hurt. I had this idea that if I did, it would be on me in a second, that terrible mouth that wasn't a mouth, biting into me before it dragged me back into the woods. I wound up walking through the night and I never saw the thing again. By early the next afternoon, I was dead on my feet and stopped to sleep before I collapsed. I remember thinking, half out of it with exhaustion, that I'd probably dreamed the whole thing. Maybe I was getting sick, or at least needed to slow down some, for a few days. Those half-formed ideas were still in my head when I woke up a few hours after sunset. My sleeping bag had been unzipped, and something was touching me. I could feel it on my leg. Heart pounding, I shifted my head slightly to look down my body. The glow from its eyes highlighted my legs, I could see a bright purple tongue reaching out of the darkness behind the light. I almost thought I could see the outline of a head this time. Something twisted and strange and shifting, but I can't say for sure. To be honest, I was more concerned with what it was doing. It was licking me. It was licking me just behind the knee. I screamed and rolled away, sure that it was going to be on me in a second. But it wasn't. When I got to my feet, it was gone again, and I haven't seen it since. I'd like to say it was all my imagination, but I don't think I'm crazy, and I've never been the imaginative sort. Besides, I could feel where it licked me. It doesn't look any different, but I can still feel it, like, like it marked me somehow. There was a crash of thunder and Tony jumped a little before looking back across the distance to me. I know how this all sounds. You think I'm pulling your leg or that I'm really crazy. I'm not. But you don't have any reason to believe me. I'd felt growing tension as the other man had talked, both because of the story itself and my growing fear that it really was insane and maybe even dangerous. 
So when he stopped talking, I thought I might yell or tell him to leave or do anything at all to let off the boiling pressure inside. Instead, I listened as I asked him a question, my voice still even and fairly calm. Why'd you tell me all this? Tony wiped his mouth. To warn you, because I don't know how far it'll travel to get me, because I don't think it's over. He glanced at the tarp. I think it's hunting me still. I shook my head. Okay, well, yeah. It's quite a story, and I'm going to be honest. I do think you may be messed up somehow. I'm not trying to be an asshole, just honest. He nodded. Yeah, I get that. But please, just let me stay in here. I'm scared to go out there. I'll be gone first light, I swear. I frowned. Uh, dude, if you're that scared, why don't you just leave today or even before that? I'd have been gone that first night after seeing the thing coming down the tree. The look on his face stopped the breath in my chest. I've wondered the same thing. I tried to tell myself it was just my imagination at first and after last night. I kept telling myself I just needed to wait until I reached the town. That there was no cell service out here. He laughed bitterly. <laughs> thing is, I haven't actually checked my phone for two days. Not since I made it back to the trail two nights ago. He lowered his eyes for mine. I... I don't think it'll leave me now. Puffing out a slow breath, I touched the knife in my pocket again. Okay, I don't know what to think, but I can tell you're really freaked out. Just stay on your side and we'll be cool, okay? He nodded emphatically, and I thought I could see the glint of tears in his eyes. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much, man. I, I, I won't bother you anymore. Just, just thanks. Not sure of what to say, I just nodded and sat back against the wall. I knew there was no way I was going to be able to get any sleep with him in there, and I wasn't sure what that would do to my overall plan, but the main thing for now was just... When I woke up, Tony was gone. My lantern was glowing dim, but the gray light of early morning pushed through the tarp enough that I could see the man's pack and bedroll, but no sign of the man himself. I felt a moment of panic and checked my own stuff, but everything was there. Looking around the edge of the tarp, I saw no trace of him anywhere, and I was about to pull my head back in when I saw marks in the mud. I felt my throat growing thick as I got up and went outside. There were a set of footprints heading away from Tony's side of the shelter. The rain must have stopped around the time he went outside because I could see outlines of his steps clearly. They headed toward the edge of the clearing before abruptly being obliterated by a slashing smear of mud that trailed off into the woods. I wanted to go further, to look for him and make sure he was all right, but I couldn't quite make myself to do it. I knew what those other marks were. They were drag marks. Something had grabbed that man and dragged him away while I'd been asleep. When I dug up my phone, I got a signal right away. Two hours later, I had a ride back to the nearest town. And that afternoon, I was on a bus back home. I told my family and friends I'd gotten a stomach bug or food poisoning from something and had to give it up. 
that I'd find some other way to pay tribute to Dad's memory. I never told any of them of the man I met and what he had seen in the dark. Even up to last night, I wasn't sure what I believed. I'd half convinced myself Tony had just been high on shrooms and wandered off into the woods to sleep it off. Being back in the real world, surrounded by lights and people, made it easy to treat it all like a weird adventure or a dream that had just left a mark. I moved into my new apartment, and while the rent's high and the walls are thin, I don't mind. Feeling the heartbeat of humanity around me is comforting, and not just because it makes me feel less lonely, it also makes me feel more safe. Still, it's not without its irritations. When I woke up in the middle of the night to the neighbor's kid crying again, I had to convince myself to go get a drink of water and cool down instead of going over and beating on their door. Trying not to wake up too much, I swung my feet onto the floor and started to stand, even as I wondered why I could see my feet and angle so well. Where was that yellow light coming from? The world pitched forward as something spongy and rough grabbed my calves and yanked backward, sending me sprawling onto the floor. I only had a moment of fearful thought before I felt myself being pulled under the bed and all rational ideas were gone. I was just crawling the floor and screaming, trying to kick that thing that was under the bed, pulling me in. Whatever it was, it was too strong. It rolled me back to my stomach as though I was a child before settling its weight on the small of my back. There was a moment of stillness, of contemplation, and then I tore open the left leg of my sweatpants, right behind the knee. I let out a howl as I felt its rough tongue there, swiping back and forth across my skin like a snake's tail before being gone again. A moment later, the weight of my back was gone, and I heard my living room window shatter as something leapt out into the night. I'd like to tell myself this was all a dream, too, but I had to clean up the broken glass and change my ruined clothes. I had to look into the mirror and see the terror staring back at me. And I know it's not over. I've been marked. I can feel it on me like dirt I can't wash off. I'd like to say I can run from it or kill it when it comes back, but something makes me wonder, because I just don't know how it left the apartment last night. I know how it got in, too. When I went to the living room to make sure it was gone, and found the window broken, I noticed my front door. It was standing wide open. I don't remember it clearly, but I think maybe I got up earlier in my sleep and opened it, as though I might investigate a strange noise outside. Or let in an old friend I'd made in the heart of the woods. I hope you enjoyed It Sounds Like a Baby Crying by Brandon Faircloth, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Fairchild. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash F-A-I-R-C-L-O-T-H. 
And for those who love to hear me spell, be sure to visit his main website as well at veristal.com. That's V-E-R-A-S-T-A-H-L. And there you can buy his print copies of collected short stories and novels, and where you can find his latest collection, Don't Let It In, due out April 15th. As a reminder, if you do decide to give any of this talented author's stories a read, please consider leaving him a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. And be sure to let him know you heard about him on this program and that Otis Jiry sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm sure they would very much appreciate it as well. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page, or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts, and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, Follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyre channel. You'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014, and you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. 
Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>